Our reading for the day comes from 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4. When David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. The second reading is 1 Samuel 20, 30-33. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. He said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? I, for as long as the son of Jesse lives upon the, the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered his father Saul, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul threw his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that it was the decision of his father to put David to death. And then the third reading is 1 Samuel 20, 41b and 42. David rose from beside the stone heap and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He bowed three times, and they kissed each other and wept with each other. David wept the more. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. Since both of us have sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my descendants and your descendants forever. He got up and left, and Jonathan went into the city. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah, my pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of the pastors here at Zao MKE Church. I know we've been a little bit back and forth uh, attending to the movement of the Spirit in our communities so that we can discuss different topics, including the protests and liberation and all that good stuff. But we are still in our series, It's Complicated, about love and romance uh, and intimacy in the Bible. And we're taking a um, queer-affirming, um, anti-racist lens to this text, um, to our scriptures, and finding different kinds of meaning. When we say that we're reading the Bible, queerness with queer lenses, for instance, we drop all of the heteronormative assumptions that we've been taught to read the Bible with. And so instead of walking into the text assuming everyone is straight, as the vast majority of the history of biblical interpretation has done, we come in with a much more open mind. Now, the story that we're going into today is the story of David and Jonathan. And honestly, you don't have to have that open of a mind to see how gay this love story is. 
I'm so excited about this. And in fact, I actually, if we were all in person, would have seriously contemplated just like pulling up a chair, offering everyone a lot of popcorn, reading excerpts from our actual Bible, and just pausing to be like, right? So gay. And I think that we would have really enjoyed that. But since we can't be together in person, I urge you to just get your snack of choice, pull up your chair, and listen to the story. This story is a really important one because it talks about the life of King David, who is in the line to Jesus and certainly the most important, most trusted king in the history of Israel. And guess what? He's gay! So we begin, actually, by needing to remember who David is. And I want to introduce you to the cast of characters here before uh, we get into the narrative. There's David. And earlier in the scriptures, earlier than where where we'll jump in, we meet David as a shepherd boy. He's uh, this kind of low-level shepherd herding kid. He's a musician, too, though. And so sometimes he goes into the court. He plays his lyre, and people are charmed. And then he discovers he has some military prowess. He's the one that goes up against Goliath in this massive battle against the Philistines. And that's where his story really starts to get interesting. We've talked about the story of David and Goliath before. We're not going to go into it here. But that's who we have as one one character in this story is little David, the shepherd boy with a lot of military prowess. Um, He's described as being quite beautiful and with musical expertise that charms everyone around him. Then we have Saul. Saul is the first king of Israel. Before before Israel had kings, they had judges, and they had this other type of history. But Israel is coming together as a nation in a new way, and they have King Saul. There isn't really an established pattern of who will take the throne after King Saul. Um, He's Bedouin, and so he probably is thinking of it the way that we might in our culture, which is um, the king's son becomes king next. But he was surrounded by other communities, other cultures that had matrilineal systems, whereby the king's daughter's husband would have become king. So now we have King Saul, who has done amazing things, but isn't sure who's going to succeed him in his own throne. Enter Jonathan, King Saul's son. We don't know a whole lot about Jonathan before the story between David and Jonathan begins. We just know that he is Saul's son, potentially, but not not exclusively in line to become the next king. And finally, we have a brief appearance by Michal, who is King Saul's daughter. She has another interesting part to play in this kind of bid for who becomes king next. And we find that one of the things that Saul, Michal, and Jonathan have in common is they all are super into David. So we enter into this story, which has enormous detail. I just want to caveat by saying there's a ton that I'm leaving out, which is unusual in these texts. When we think about the Bible, this is like a big collection of stories that have been important across many cultures over thousands of years. And if you want to compile it into a book that's like pick upable by somebody who isn't lifting weights on the daily, you have to be real concise. So there are a lot of details that get omitted. When there are stories with a lot of detail, that's a key that it's super important. 
that this was a story that deserved extra space in the Bible. And this story between David and Jonathan goes on for chapters. It's really beautiful. And it has this very Romeo and Juliet tragic romance vibe to it. So again, popcorn, get in here. So we open on this scene, first chapter, first Samuel 18. And it says, when David had finished speaking to Saul, David had come to Saul after this victory against Goliath. He still actually has Goliath's head in his hand. But he's this young teenage warrior kid. He's now a hero. He's got Goliath's head in his hand. And he comes to the king. And it says that when David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. We see this love at first sight. This is the first kind of Romeo and Juliet uh, element for me. These young lovers, they see one another, and Jonathan is smitten. He's smitten for a boy holding a severed head, so you know it's complicated, but hashtag ancient Near East. So Saul then took him, that is, took David that day, and would not let him return to his father's house. This is really interesting, because it means that Saul also is intrigued by David, and is like, yeah, don't go home to Jesse. You stay here with me. And there are many allusions in the ensuing story about David being in the king's chambers. And we don't know what that means, but it does mean for sure that Saul had an eye on David, said, come live in our in our household. So in that time when David moves in and they're all living together, the text goes on and describes, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. This is twice now, loved him as his own soul. The Bible is being very clear here. The depth of this teenage love is big. It is wide. This is dramatic. I love you as my own soul. And so they make a covenant together. Now, covenant is used in many different ways, but it is often used to denote the depth and sincerity of a relationship between two people, promises, commitments they make to each other. I imagine this like Jonathan giving David a promise ring. And he does, in fact, give David many things. He says, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe he was wearing and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Jonathan is pledging himself to David. And what's really notable about this is that Jonathan has a higher social status than David. It wouldn't have been that uncommon for people to pledge themselves in this way to their like social superiors to show their loyalty, but for a superior to strip themselves and offer everything they have to someone who doesn't have their same social status, that's above and beyond. This is a public declaration of love. So Saul has invited David into the household. Jonathan is smitten and in love and commits himself to David. We don't know what Saul does or doesn't know about the relationship between David and Jonathan, although it probably was pretty public when Jonathan fell in love and offered himself to David. In any case, David brings his musical talent into the court. 
and plays his lyre daily, it says in the scriptures. This music was one of the things that soothed King Saul. He often was sort of melancholy, but what he longed for was for David, this warrior hero, this beautiful boy that everyone was smitten with, to play music for him in his chambers. Saul makes David head of the military, which is an unusual move. It kind of seems out of place because Saul actually had a head of the military who was noted for being loyal. And so it seems odd that Saul offer this thing to David, maybe another sign of Saul's perhaps confusing affection for him. In any case, David becomes wildly popular. He has lots of military successes. And as he is gaining in popularity, Saul is seeing just how many people love David. His son Jonathan, the whole court system, even it says women were dancing in the streets saying, Saul has killed thousands, David has killed tens of thousands of our enemies. So Saul starts to get a little threatened, a little jealous. He becomes angry and starts lashing out. I often wonder if Saul is confused about his own feelings for David, who he wants to own as he owns many things in his kingdom, but he can't. He can't own exclusively David's affection or relationship with others. And so one day, during this time when Saul is beginning to feel very threatened, David is playing his lyre, trying to soothe Saul. And the scripture says an evil spirit came over Saul and he could not be soothed, not even by David's beautiful music. And he threw a spear at David to kill him. But David was agile and ducked or maneuvered or what have you and escaped. Saul tried twice, threw his spear twice at David. And the scripture says that from that day on, Saul eyed David. But we get this sinister tone that eyeing David is no longer an act of affection or intrigue, but of mistrust and suspicion. So Saul has a problem now. David, this beautiful boy who has uh, gotten everyone's attention, is now getting too much attention. He's now having military successes, and this feels threatening. And so, David, uh, so Saul decides to send David back into battle, in the heart of battle, not just to command the armies, but actually to be in them. David comes back with more victories. Now, even further enraged, Saul is not sure what to do. David is of marrying age. And technically, Saul had promised that the daughter, that the warrior who killed Goliath could marry his daughter, therefore potentially entering the running to become king. So he says, sure, David, you can marry into the family, but then immediately takes it back and offers his eldest daughter's hand to some other person who we don't really hear from again. But he has a younger daughter as well, Michal. Michal has taken a liking to David too. And so she goes to her father and says, I love David. We don't often hear from women in these stories determining their own course of marriage. But Michal inserts herself into this story. Whatever the nature is of her affection, she wants it to be known that she wants David in the family, wants his protection. We can only speculate what she knows about David and Jonathan. 
Saul says, oh, great. I'm into this. I like this. This is great. But instead of saying, wonderful, David, welcome to the family, he, the text explicitly says he wants to lure David in. He wants to use Michal's affection and declaration of love against David to put him back into danger. And so he says to David, listen, you don't have any money for a dowry. I know that. So I don't require any money for you to be welcomed into this family. Lucky you. What I require um, as a bride price for marrying Michal is 100 Philistine foreskins. In addition to being really gross, uh, this is a challenge to David to enter again into dangerous territory in a war zone. And not only to kill 100 enemies, but to do so in this very public way that would have caused an outcry and would have put a target on David's back. Saul seems pretty convinced that David is going to get himself killed doing this. David comes back with 100 Philistine foreskins. Now the scripture seems to reiterate over and over again that the Lord was with David, that the Lord was protecting David, and they serve as sort of foils for one another. Saul, the um, scared, fearful king who wants to protect everything he has and hold it too closely, is, is frightened of anything else that could threaten him, not trusting of the Lord. David trusts the Lord and is open, is, is loving, is connected to all of these people and doesn't seem to be in it for the ambition so much as for the relationships, for the glory of God. And in that openness finds incredible success. So David comes back with his bridal gift, does not die. Saul is furious and terrified and now running out of options. David is now married into the family, which means that he could potentially take the throne someday, the throne that Saul presumably wants for Jonathan. We haven't heard from Jonathan in a while, have we? We don't know what's happening during this time as all of the action is around David and Saul, but Jonathan and David are presumably still living in the same household under that covenant and declaration of love. And now... You start to hear from them again. You see, Saul is angry enough and paranoid enough that he has started to scheme and plot against David, not just to send him into dangerous situations, but Saul has decided that he has to kill David by his own hand. We learn in the text that Jonathan and Saul are very close. Jonathan says at one point, there's nothing that my father doesn't tell me, big or small. And so the two of them are very close. And Jonathan discovers that Saul intends to kill David. Jonathan talks to Saul, begging him not to kill David. But first, he goes in secret to meet with David in a field. They have these secret liaisons more than once in this story. Meet up together in secret and talk. Who knows what more. But Jonathan goes to David and says, This is happening. My father wants to kill you. So they try and negotiate. Jonathan goes to Saul and says, please don't do this. David has never done anything wrong to you. And Saul relents. I will not kill David. Fine. 
And David is restored to the household. But we see this back and forth, this hot and cold, this issue within Saul that his own confusion lashes out at David. It's about paranoia and power. It's about misdirected energy and longing for David, but also feeling like David is a threat. Over time, Jonathan's pleading sort of wears off, and Saul is moved to jealousy and anger again. Once again, the Bible says that Saul is overcome by an evil spirit and cannot be calmed even by David's beautiful music. So while David is playing in the king's chambers, Saul tries to kill him again. He flees in this elaborate process uh, with Michal, Michal helping him. He climbs out her window. She puts uh, an icon, a statue in her bed with goat's hair in this kind of Ferris Bueller's Day Off-esque um, shenanigans episode. And David runs off into that field, that secret meeting place between him and Jonathan. When Jonathan gets there, David tries to tell Jonathan about how his father tried to kill him. And Jonathan doesn't believe it. Basically saying, like, I I solved this. I talked to him. And he does tell me everything. He didn't tell me that he wanted to kill you. I, I convinced him we're okay. But David says... He knows that you like me. And I am quoting from scripture here, y'all. David says to Jonathan, by way of you know he wants to kill me, you know that he knows you like me. Jonathan relents and says, whatever you say, I will do. In the field together, they hatch a plan. There's a banquet that they're supposed to all be at. David is going to stay in hiding. And when Saul asks where David is, Jonathan is supposed to make up some story about going home to offer sacrifice. If Saul is pleased by that and says, yeah, David's a great guy, then all is well and David can come home. But if not, they'll know. So in this field, after they've made this plan, They make together another covenant to be family to one another, that even generations beyond them would belong to one another. It says, Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own life. And you can imagine these young men, tell me you love me. I would rather die than live without your love. Jonathan says, the Lord is a witness between you and me forever. And in this field, they make again these promises and declarations to one another. David continues to hide, and Jonathan goes back and enacts the plan. When David doesn't show up to the banquet, Saul gets enraged. And this is what they were waiting for, to see Saul's reaction at David not being there. Will he be pleased because David is being faithful, or will he be upset because Saul wanted the opportunity to kill him? Scripture says, Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. Saul said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse for your own shame? And to the shame of your mother's nakedness, 
For as long as the son of Jesse lives upon the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Now send him, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. This is wild, y'all. We are seeing all of this stuff that has been roiling inside Saul. All of this anger and vitriol and paranoia is coming out. And it is so pointed and so clear. And now it is coming to Jonathan. There are a lot of allusions in here. Saul can't even say David's name. He says, son of Jesse. Saul certainly can't say love or lover. He says, you've chosen him. And the Greek actually uh, is complicated here, might include uh, words like ship or sharing. You have shared in David. He calls Jonathan the son of a perverse, rebellious woman which is not only a way of trying to paint Jonathan as perverse, but also of saying, your mother was rebellious. You are not even my own son. And we see in here a story that is too familiar to so many of us. An angry, queerphobic father trying to cope with his own complicated feelings. Denying his own son cutting him off from the family and inheritance, saying, as long as David lives, as long as this thing is happening, as long as the two of you are doing this, you are not a part of this household. You will not inherit this kingdom. As long as the son of Jesse lives upon the earth, you nor your kingdom shall be established, says Saul. Jonathan answers him, still pleading for David, his love, and says, why should he be put to death? What has he done? And the scripture says, But Saul threw his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that it was the decision of his father to put David to death. That same angry outburst that Saul had at David, playing the liar, he has now towards his own son. This rage, this violence against queer love and queerness. So Jonathan leaves. He and David have developed an elaborate scheme as we get more and more into that Romeo and Juliet tragedy. David shoots arrows into a field in such a way that David knows it's not safe to come home. But they do find one another again in the field for one last goodbye as they meet in secret the scripture says, David rose from beside the stone heap and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He bowed three times and they kissed each other and they wept with each other. David wept the more. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace since both of us have sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between you and me and between my descendants and your descendants forever. He got up and left, and Jonathan went to the city. These two lovers, torn apart by jealousy and queerphobia and family and power, have to walk separate ways. David in political exile, Jonathan, back to the father who would have disowned him and who tried to kill him. After much time passes, David will become king. 
Saul and Jonathan will die together in battle, leaving one son of Jonathan's alive. In 2 Samuel, we read a poem, David eulogizing both Saul and Jonathan. Note here that David uses familiar imagery, calling Jonathan a brother. But as we learned in Song of Songs, that fits into this kind of intimate um, closeness that doesn't preclude uh, romantic or sexual partners, as we see um, a lover calling another brother um, and sister in that poem. But in this poem, as David eulogizes his lover, he says, How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan lies slain upon your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of any woman. David ended up taking Jonathan's son into his own court to sit and dine at the king's table fulfilling the promise of their love for one another that would persist generations and generations to come as they chose one another as family. So gay, right? Like, why is this not the telling we hear? And why are there so many efforts, so many mental gymnastics to straighten these two lovers? And there are. You can read a thousand commentaries talking about friendship. And friendship is beautiful, but so is love. David and Jonathan were up against tremendous odds. But if we're not trying so hard to straighten everything in front of us, what is the beautiful queer truth that we can see? I would like to read to you an excerpt from a book called Jonathan Loved David. This was published in 1978, and it was the first arguments really made for Jonathan and David as lovers, which is fascinating to me because as I read this story with my own metaphorical popcorn, I was like, how, like, you have to work so hard to make them straight. Um, so this is Tom Horner, and he is writing to folks who have for a very long time tried to paper over the romance and love between these two men. But he writes, Jonathan was obviously smitten, but cannot two men be good friends, someone said to me recently, without the issue of homosexuality being raised? Yes, they can. But when two men come from a society that for 200 years had lived in the shadow of Philistine culture, which accepted homosexuality, and when they find themselves in a social context that was thoroughly military in the Eastern sense, when one of them, who is the social superior of the two, publicly makes a display of his love, when the two of them make a lifetime pact openly, when they meet secretly and kiss each other and shed copious tears at parting, when one of them proclaims that his love for the other surpassed his love for women, and all of this is present in the David-Jonathan liaison, 
we have every reason to believe that a homosexual relationship existed. And this is one of the wounds of our church that not only have our stories been scrubbed and erased from the Bible, but the ones that remain have been washed away into straightness, into beautiful tales about friendship. Yes, friendship and loyalty, yes. But also gay love, this beautiful love story. What would have happened if Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet were interpreted as a story of intense friendship? And every time when someone said, but they loved each other, someone said, well, yes, can't a young man and a woman be friends? Well, yeah, but like they were in love. <laughs> and isn't that sweet and beautiful? And why can't we see ourselves in that story? This is one of the ongoing pieces of violence against queerness when we read this scripture and assume friendship and actually bend over backwards to erase queer love. And when we do that, we lose so many other ways to identify with the text. Would young queer kids feel a little less alone if they knew that David and Jonathan had also had to deal with quick parents, with people who would disown them for their love? Would they feel a little less alone if they knew that David and Jonathan had Michal, a sister in their life, who loved them enough to help them, to protect them, to help David escape, perhaps to be David's beard? Would queer kids feel a little less alone if they knew that God smiling down on David and Jonathan who loved one another. God protected David, made him king, and through David's line we got Jesus. We need to tell stories of queer love, and luckily the Bible does. It is humanity that has been erasing it. And so I invite you to just dwell in this story of love, this tragedy where two lovers had to part ways, but this beauty that they found ways for their love to carry on generation after generation, to be told for millennia, to be lifted up as beautiful and holy and good. Will you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for blessing queer love. We thank you for claiming David and Jonathan we pray that you would make us bold to see love where there is love, to celebrate love where there is love, the love of friendship, but also the love of romance, the love of sexual connection, of kissing, of weeping, of meeting in secret fields, of defying angry fathers, of protecting one another, even the love of parting ways. God, may we see you in all of it. You are good, and so are your queer beloved. Amen. <laughs>